0: Ladies and gentlemen, this is unqualified—a show where we we honestly do our best to keep things above board, but occasionally we get drugged to a land down under. We're one. We're, we're one. With, sorry. And hey, cut. That was cut. really stupid. We got another take. Give him five. We're one week out from. This. <laughs> the joke was so bad that your, your face, like, froze. I was just
1: waiting for, like, the punchline or something. And then it just
0: hung out there. All right, let's take off. Three lights, four lights, five laps. Pause. Go, go, go. He has been told to come in lap after lap after lap. And what does he do? He ignores them. A committee meeting about it. Stick it on and send him out. Bus stop chicane, George. Try and straight line it. Get to the line, and we'll see what happens. Perez trying to cut off Hamilton. go straight on. This is quite appalling. This is the worst start for a Grand Prix that I have ever seen in the whole of my life. What is going on here in China tonight? We're one week out from the Australian Grand Prix in Albert Park, so the body has very much gone cold. But I can assure you, the conversation is still quite hot. I'm joined, as always, by my friend co-host, Gerald Carter. Gee, I have two, two very simple questions for you to lead us off this afternoon. One, did you watch live, given that it was at 1 a.m. local time uh, here in the city of, of Brotherly Shove? And two, uh, this is a bit of a bigger question. Was this a boring race?
1: Uh, to the first question, while I had every intention of making it to 1 a.m. start time, Realizing that surely there was going to be some yellow or red flag, I just resigned to not put myself through that and wake up the next morning and watch it. So I was not a true fan. How about yourself? Did you make it through?
0: No. By the time Sunday night rolled around, I was, had been without sleep for about 48 hours because I had red-eyed from the West Coast to a bachelor party in North Carolina. <laughs> So, uh, I took an ambient about nine o'clock <laughs> and passed out, uh, but I woke up at seven 30, uh, not really knowing where I was and, uh, and watched it in bed. So nice. Yeah. While the groom to be snored very loudly in the bed. Next You're time. trying
1: to watch it like on low under your covers.
0: That's not, that's, exactly, that's exactly what I did. Nice. Well, wow. uh,
1: love the commitment. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's tough to say. I think, uh, yeah, this one probably not the most exciting from like the on track drama, a classic sort of pit timing when the safety car comes out kind of strategy battle, um, but not the most from from on track passes, unfortunately.
0: I think it says all you need to know when the number one like media buzz leaving the weekend was the the fact that sebastian vettel did a qualifying lap on a vespa or i, <laughs> I don't know if they <laughs> they call them vespas or scooters in australia but either way i would very much categorize this as a boring race also recognizing that in the grand scheme of things the longtime f1 fan probably would not agree but i'm new to the sport i'm american i want bigger better batter and unfortunately my expectations have just been tainted so i very much would qualify this as a as a boring race charles kind of ran and hid and, uh, yeah, it was one you felt like you could just skip through the recording on YouTube TV, yep. like, pretty quick. Yep. And, and catch yeah, that's everything. Fair. But anyway, all that being said, what stuck out to you about the weekend most? Yeah, I
1: mean, top of the headline, Leclerc wins the Grand Slam, uh, pole position, fastest lap, won the race.
0: Uh, wait, wait, what's the Grand Slam?
1: Um, well, I guess the fourth is the ever-important driver of the day. So, you know, you can't forget about that.
0: It's a disgrace to the Grand Slam. And the driver of the day is even a part of that. <laughs> this is why I've never heard of it because it's not a real thing. But okay, continue. Uh,
1: and then uh, Perez, sort of the the benefactor of Matt's D- Max's DNF, taking second uh, while Max struggles with some reliability issues, and that leaving Mer- Merck to walk into a, a Russell third place and Hamilton fourth place finish. While uh, not to be left out of the excitement, Albon. In just his third race with Williams, bringing home the one point for 10th. So um, Williams back on the board. Now, we don't want to leave out, this was uh, not totally exclusive to Albon's performance. He's got a big uh, big nod from Stroll, but plenty more from him and Aston Martin as the only team this weekend, um, after this weekend, with no points. So, um, but more to come from him.
0: My love. I was I was an Albon fan when he was at Red Bull. I wanted him to succeed, so it is a it is a bit heartwarming to see him take that uh, dumpster on wheels into the points, uh, even if it was a little bit fluky. But we'll we'll get into that. Nice. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go through a more detail on reverse gray order. So, of course, that means we're starting with um, best livery, but probably worst performance on the grid. Aston Martin, uh, another pretty horrible weekend. Some sympathy for Seb, first time back in the car this year, coming back from COVID. But overall, no points, uh, a lot of damage. Uh, I think the bill is going to be pretty steep uh, coming out of the weekend for for old Lawrence Stroll. Uh, what were your thoughts, G? Yeah,
1: I'm not sure. There's been a worse single weekend, start to finish, for a team. Uh, That's a bold statement. This bad in a while. I mean, between FP1 Vettel getting a, a red flag issue and then the the infamous sort of scooter ride back. Uh, that got his fan to uh, that got his fine to stroll on the first lap of of practice, complaining about people impeding traffic, only to then subsequently impede traffic and get a penalty for it. Um, so no room to talk. But yeah, the Vettel fine. Obviously, the FIA sort of leaning in heavy this weekend as the fun police. First with the the Vettel on the scooter followed by all sorts of rule changes, no uh, no jewelry, you have to wear your finest fireproof underwear going forward. I guess what was your take on the, the stewards' role this weekend and swinging their weight around?
0: I don't, I don't, what is it about, what is it about you that makes you just need to rebel against authority? Like, I don't understand, like why, okay, didn't we fire all the bullets we had at the FIA at the end of last year? Like, we're just looking for stuff now. I don't know. I just don't think any of that stuff is meaningful enough to get your panties in a lot.
1: You know, I think they just got they got such high publicity at the end of last season. They were the center of attention. I mean, the 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 power trip has to be real in terms of seeing your wow. name on the front pra- page. So all this uh, all this attention from drive to survive that was all centered on the drivers. They wanted some of the spotlight back. So I think they needed to wow. to come in with authority this weekend.
0: I completely disagree. I think the fact that they only find Vettel five thousand dollars is probably a clear indication that like they were probably laughing in the stewards room about it, but they were like, If we want to be consistent and apply the rules, like everyone complains that we don't, i.e. last year, we have to find him something. And then they were probably digging through the rule book and saying, What's the minimum amount we can possibly find him? Which is probably five thousand dollars. So I think they were trying to make nothing out of it, but they also had to be consistent. So
1: is this how they're trying to remedy their tarnished brand is by like being overly punitive on?
0: I don't think they were being overly punitive at all. I think they're legitimately just trying to be ghosts. Unfortunately, there's some it's almost like when you're more silent and the only things you enforce are the little things. The little things get more attention and it almost makes you look worse. So they're kind of damned if they do, damned if they
1: don't. Well, and I think they came. They started off the weekend hot with a bunch of rule changes. The biggest one, obviously, being the the safety car restart rule, which honestly, I actually think is a is a good call. But then they had their hands full throughout the race. So yeah, whether they wanted to be or not, they were. They, they got plenty of action this weekend.
0: So two questions for you uh, to get back to to Aston Martin real quick, uh, based on their most notable things in the weekend, which had nothing to do with race performance. Uh, if Seb had fallen off that scooter, and I would say his helmet was like up off of his head. He didn't actually have it fully on. So if he falls off the scooter, the helmet's flying off. He's cracking his skull. If Seb falls off the scooter, how long does it take for the steward who gave it to him to disappear? To just be gone, to just disappear because Lawrence Stroll had something to do with it. Is this
1: what we're resorting to is like OSHA violations now? (laughs) one week off and we've fallen so low already (laughs) Oh never never again hold on all right so we haven't even gotten to like the rest of the weekend yet for aston martin so that was that was the first practice if that's any sign of just how (laughs) shitty things can go um so then, going into FP three, um, it gets even harder. Vettel crashes right out of the start of the session. Stroll crashes at the end of the session, um, leaving their poor team to pick up the pieces to try to get these guys back to qualifying.
0: I am sympathetic to Vettel, like I, you know, like you're, you haven't been in the car all year. Uh, the thing's a dog. You're in a track that, you know. I think Australia is relatively punitive in terms of there being a lot of walls, Um, and it's kind of old. Like I know they re like they re um, they used to get complaints because the surface was uneven, but they resurfaced it for this year, which actually can mean you know combined with the (laughs) the new tire compounds, like they probably struggled for grip. I feel I I sympathize with him, right? I don't think he's gonna he's gonna drop it that bad every weekend, but it was kind of a perfect storm. I mean, yeah, you
1: can't not feel bad for for Vettel at this point. I mean, this basically has he got a handful of laps this whole season so far. And so, I mean, yeah, it's going to be several races before he's even, even logged enough laps to constitute like testing, you know, that most drivers would get. So yeah, he's, he's a ways behind just to have comfort with the car. But I mean, again, that's how bad is that for stroll that, you can't even take a step above your teammate that hasn't driven the car yet this season, even before qualifying. So, and and that's in practice. And then it doesn't get much better into qualifying. Um, probably the best, probably the best uh, moment of the entire weekend: Stroll and Latifi DNFing out of Q one, uh, primarily solely because Stroll doesn't know how to use his rearview mirrors once again. Um, and, and sadly for Latifi, really no fault of his own other than unclear track intentions. So just a comedy of errors with these two and making it abundantly clear that they are on a, on a different, uh, a different level than most of the other drivers.
0: Did you have any sympathy for Latifi in the moment?
1: I uh, initially no because I thought like, it seemed like a really passive move to like be so far over, then try to retake it. Like, a lot of miscommunications, but once you heard the radio messages and realized Stroll was supposed to be on a hot lap, bailed out because his engineer was like, even before he gets up there, he's like, uh, there's a lot of traffic, Stroll, so if you want to back out of this lap, like you don't have to do it. He's like, God, please. <laughs> like, reading between the lines, he's like, please back out of this lap. You're never going to make it.
0: <laughs> but he knows he's talking to a billionaire's son, and he's like trying not to.
1: Well, you listen to his driver radio, and like during practices or qualifyings more frequently than any other driver, his race engineer is like counting down how far behind somebody's like two and a half, two point two seconds, two point one, two seconds, where everyone else is normally like ten seconds, five seconds, like he's gotta be so persistent with stroll.
0: well, it's funny, I bet you there's a perfect reverse correlation between the level of gun shyness of a race engineer and the level of wealth of the driver's father. (laughs) 100, 100%. That guy's that guy is walking on eggshells, arguably more than the guy that was engineering for mass last year.
1: I wonder if we could get somebody with the, with the data out there to pull that like amount of time on radio by the race engineers relative to uh, driver quality.
0: Well, Mick Schumacher's engineer. I don't know his name. He's very nice and he talks a lot, but he's very kind. He's like, "Okay, Mick. Well, we're gonna retire the car." You know, <laughs> he's, like, he's just like soft-spoken, like fatherly voice. I'm like, "Oh, well, okay." I, guess I love the on.
1: I love the different radio engineer styles of people. Aren't I listening know. to that? You're missing out on I, like a whole a whole I, dynamic.
0: Bono is is my favorite. I I mean, I'm not a Mercedes fan, but I gotta respect. Pete Bonnington he he's got one hell of a radio voice. Um
1: all right so that was uh, up through qualifying for Aston Martin. <laughs> <laughs> so, so.
0: I don't know is there really anything else to discuss like they I mean they other than really...
1: poor Vettel creating the the sort of the safety car incident on lap 23 in the yeah. race and and sort of changing up the whole the whole race dynamic and and DNFing with that. So unfortunately no beyond the comedy of errors and Vettel Having uh, quite the mountain to climb here at the start of the season. Uh, Not too much more to write home for for Aston Martin, but I'm glad we could spend like 20 minutes on them. It was well worth it.
0: I know. Obviously, they do a lot for the sport. So, All right. It takes all times. Let's let's move on to Williams. So, um, look, after three years of toil, George Russell manages not a single point for Williams, and Alex Elbon in his third race by some – stroke of the hand of god manages to score a point to me that was the highlight long tire strategy uh i don't even think i noticed latifi was was in the car uh after qualifying what were your takeaways
1: i think after the whole stroll incident he was a little gun shy so i think he figured i'll just bring this car home today and count that as a win (laughs) so uh, pretty low bar for him but um and of course, then Stroll, not to be uh, not to be outdone with the antics and practice and qualifying, uh, he basically helped hand Albon that 10th that place finish because uh, he was responsible creating a massive DRS train, holding up Botas and Gasly and and Joe for a large part of the race and creating that pit window. So uh, another nod to, to Stroll for Wait, helping out there.
0: Hold on. So I don't know that I fully understand that because Albon didn't yeah. pit until the 56th lap. Yeah. So how, so the pit window was open in the 56th lap, basically allowing Albon to pit on the last lap. how did that, like, I don't understand how the pit window helped him.
1: Well, so basically there was a point where enough drivers were behind or, or far enough behind that that Albon could pit and come out in, oh. in 10th place. Okay. And largely that was because Stroll was holding up those guys. And then I think Botas and Gasly got through and that's where they decided to pit Al- Albon because if, you know, Joe then got through Stroll as well, that put their, their podium at risk and almost did anyway. But, yeah, Stroll had held up enough traffic long enough that Albon was able to stay out and, and still run those tires.
0: But I thought the only reason they pitted him is because there's a mandatory one pit stop.
1: There is, but, I mean, if, if Botas and Gasly weren't held up, so long behind yeah. stroll he's not gonna he get probably loaded. wouldn't have had that window yeah, yeah. exactly well so,
0: I mean I say good on Williams for shooting for the moon man when you don't have a car that can actually like race legitimately you got to try weird stuff and it's probably not gonna pay off nine times out of ten but occasionally when it does you know you get a little bit larger of a celebration in the garage afterwards so you know well and especially
1: on a track like this where there's been a lot of DNFs and safety cars lately I mean it's kind of the only only shot that you have um, and then not a lot of passing beyond. So, yeah, I like to see it. It'll be interesting. I mean, this is pretty unique, right? In terms of the tires being able to go this long. And and I guess, what is your thoughts on what this means for race strategy going forward? Is it positive if, if drivers can sort of do the full race one stop strategy?
0: I mean, to be honest with you, I didn't even know that there was a mandatory one stop rule. <laughs> I really didn't. And I would imagine that like. F1 and Pirelli would probably be incentivized to prevent that from happening super regularly. Um, but it does bring this broader question of like, I don't want to see the majority of the cars in the field not pit. But if the difference in the tire compounds was more stark, so like if they have the C5 through the C1 in the window, and instead of bringing the C2, 3, and 4 to a race weekend, instead they bring the C5, the 3, and the 1. Then you create this dispersion where like there's serious dispersion, in the level of performance of the tire. So somebody really could go long, but then also somebody could choose a two pit strategy and try and make that work. So like, I guess I'm a fan of more volatility, as long as while there are guys that are going literally trying not to pit, there are some guys that are trying to pit very often. That to me would make more interesting racing. I don't know how realistic that is. Right. But like,
1: um, yeah, I mean the tires have, have sort of been a big question mark. This whole season, I mean, they've created a big dynamic, especially within qualifying, where they take longer to warm up. They can go for longer laps. Drivers aren't even getting their like peak qualifying lap until, you know, their third or fourth hot lap on these tires. And so it seems like overall the tires can just go longer and deliver performance, which I tend to not like because I like, while you can have, yes, the dispersion of strategy, I also like more pitting because that just throws um, some wrenches in, in terms of where people are coming out in the train, you know, how well teams perform with the pit stop. So, I mean, yeah, they've put themselves in an interesting position where this was the first race where they've made that kind of two tire gap. And so, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they do that again in both directions potentially, but I just think the fact that you can take the one tire, the full race, um, yeah, you're probably more likely to see that, especially if it, I mean, Albon held the pace with like the McLaren's, through like the second half of that race, even on those
0: tires, so well, and he he even admitted after the race that it was something about the car that for some reason that tire just suited him. You know, it's just kind of one of those like stars aligned on that compound when it got grained in at a certain level, and it, they just were able to just pound pound laps in on it.
1: Yep. Well, you saw that last weekend too, where, I mean, the hards and the, the mediums weren't really deemed to be much different. And, and you've seen some a lot more like car specificity where the Red Bulls couldn't get the, the softs to work this weekend, but seemed good on, on harder tires to go on long runs. So yeah, it's kind of weird across the board.
0: Why did they not pit him like a lap or two earlier and have him go for fastest lap? Because I mean, one point's great. Two points, two points is two more is, is double one. Like, I'm sure he could have gotten it. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I I don't know. I think my assumption was it had to do with the window of time where where it was opened up and what his pace was relative to where they thought they would get held up by somebody. But yeah, um, yeah, you would have thought they wanted to give him a couple more laps to either get fastest lap or potentially be able to come at Gasly or Botas. But I think he might have been too far behind anyway to make that even worthwhile. So.
0: I'm not sure. Gerald, you're known in some circles as the Rasputin of rubber. At this stage of the season, what grade are you putting on Pirelli's report card? Um,
1: um, it's hard to say because I, it's it's all new, right? the The car mechanics or the car's physics, the tire's physics. I think overall, it's hard to separate it from the performances of the cars. And I would like the cars to be a little bit like snappier, I guess, to prior years, but they're already making huge strides. It seems week over week in terms of how responsive they seem to be. And I like the mystery of the, the newness. I don't know that they'll continue to like perform well and provide the most dynamic racing. If they all just last a really long time um, and they're super durable I like the fact that there haven't been any gross tire failures so far and having like a good race undone by that. Um, and the best part is I'm loving the qualifying of drivers getting to stay out, put in multiple laps rather than have to pit after every single time and be one and done. So I I think overall probably, um, I don't know. What was our scale? Four out of five.
0: I don't know. How are you graded in elementary school?
1: Um, Poorly. Oh, oh. Scale. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I would say a B. Yeah, I, I think a B. All there are right. some question marks on the kind of the the degradation factor, and it seems much lower than in previous previous years. But I don't know any any views.
0: I have no views on the matter. I think I'll agree with your B. All right. Let's uh. Let's actually. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna combine the next three: Alpha Tauri, Haas, and Alpha Romeo. So, Tauri, basically, straightforward race, finished basically where they belong. The only notable difference between this week and the last two races was the fact that they didn't have an engine blow up. Uh, So, you're on them. Props. Haas, relatively straightforward. You kind of hardly noticed them. Uh, You know, nobody had to write a big check this weekend, so positive for them. Um, Mix not in the wall. And then Alpha... Both of them were caught in the DRS train, made it through a Botas, seems to be continuing to perform pretty well. Again, a little bit of a quiet weekend. Anything notable across those three teams, kind of the, the overall made up the midfield?
1: I mean, yeah, they they qualified kind of middle of the pack and only moved up as you would expect as cars in front of them fell out. I think the big one, and we'll talk about this a little bit with more with Aston Martin, but Haas, I think taking more of a step back, how much of that was kind of track-specific challenges versus... Overall car performance seemingly just didn't suit Haas well, um, but hoping to see them, I guess, higher up in, in subsequent races because races, they really took the kind of the furthest jump down below below Alphatari um, this weekend. So
0: it's still a little tough to tell, I think, on whether they're going to like how quickly are they going to get there's no question in my mind they're going to get out developed right? But how quickly is it going to happen? Haas obviously has stuff planned to be released this year. They own less of the car, right? So their their improvements are more on the margins. Like, I don't think they make their own chassis. They don't make their own engine. They're really just kind of, at this point, tweaking the arrow around the car, I would have to guess. But I, I wouldn't, Um, I think some of it's traffic specific. Some of it is their drivers are still a little bit volatile week to week. I mean, I, I God, Kevin Magnuson got on Beyond the Grid this week with Tom Clarkson, which is a great podcast if anybody hasn't heard of it. And, uh, and basically talked about how in Saudi Arabia, his neck just fully gave out and he was propping his head up against the side of the car. And Tom Clarkson was like, Hey, how do you like, what do you do about that? And he was like, no, there's nothing you can do. Like, I can't just snap my fingers one week and then my neck be stronger. Like, so there's a little bit of like, they've kind of got to wear in their drivers over the season. So I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm still committed to my Haas fourth in the constructors prediction. That's what I'm trying to say.
1: Well, and I think then the thing with, with Alfa Romeo is of those three teams, they seem to have the the strongest, most consistent driver lineup with Botas. I mean, he was top 10 all throughout practice. Him and Joe both started, you know, bottom 10, but moved up towards the top 10. And Joe basically would have had a a 10th place finish in the points, um, if not for a little bit of uh, a little bit of oversteer on a, on a final turn trying to pass Albon on the last lap after he's coming out of the pit. So, I mean, they're looking really good. Joe definitely seemed to get the instruction of like, Hey, just don't give him a reason to send you home at the end of this year. And you, and you have a spot for next year. So clearly playing the long game um, weekend and week out. So, I mean, they're looking like a good, a good package as well. So what's uh, what's probably expect to see them still a step ahead of, of Haas in, in a future weekend.
0: Yeah, I agreed. All right, Alpine, so um, they're having a very French season, a little bit of a World War One season and that they're just kind of throwing bodies at this thing, throwing new, new engines in the car <laughs> literally every single week. They're pretty fast. It was an eventful weekend. Alonso had a lot of misfortune. Ocon was actually a little bit quieter, so Alonzo kind of caught most of the noise, but I think overall trajectory of their development is positive. Um, yeah, what were your thoughts?
1: I mean, yeah, they looked really good through the, through the whole weekend. I mean, they're sort of an undecided driver pairing as well in terms of is there a number one driver, but I think largely Alonso had been positioning himself well ahead of of Ocon this weekend. I mean, they both were four and six in in practice two, and Alonso held steady at, at fifth in practice three while Ocon was sort of down in the lower half. And then in coming qualifying, Alonso nearly you know maybe pole position certainly a, a top 5 pace lap in Q3 um before putting it into the wall um and so it seems alonso still got a lot of pace in that car especially um and then unfortunately you know ocon started an 8 and and raced well took one spot up uh, throughout the race which given dnf's ahead of him um, so basically, he didn't gain any ground while unfortunately Alonzo, um, the engine issue, uh putting or I'm sorry, just the bad pitch strategy overall, kind of going the long, trying to do the Alex yeah. Albon, but not taking it as long. Um, and then getting unfortunate with the
0: the late safety car. So Alonzo's super impressive, man. I, I um, you know, obviously we didn't watch Alonzo for most of his career or even during his prime, but some of the other podcasts I listen to uh have a couple different people who you know, will commit to Alonzo being, in terms of just pure talent, the best driver that's ever lived. And if you trace the kind of lineage of his career, he switched teams at like literally the worst possible time. Like he picked the wrong engine at the wrong time every single time he changed. Like not his own fault. Like he just kind of was unlucky. And there's a solid case to be made that if he had done it differently, he could have won six, seven, eight world titles. And the fact that he's you know obviously the car is developing but he's still like Ocon's no slouch and in certain tracks man he can still just hook it up in qualifying i mean it if and i think didn't they say his crash was like hydraulic related like didn't they didn't they say it wasn't his fault i'm pretty sure i heard that in the post race um but either way like he can still hook it up he's very very fast um seems to be in great shape takes care of himself um I I'm 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 becoming increasingly more and more of a fan of of Fernando Alonso. I think.
1: Well, it just again as we talk about the the gradient of driver quality, it's just amazing that how few truly great ones there are, and he's been doing it for this long and is still kind of taking it to a younger teammate. And so, I mean, yeah, you can't
0: you can't be anything but impressed by his his performance. What if? Oh man, what if Red Bull had gone and gotten him? you know, instead of, uh, instead of Perez. And I know he was committed to Alpine at the time. And so it, it wouldn't have made sense, but what if that window had opened and he had been sitting in that Red Bull this year? Well,
1: and I have no idea what that driver dynamic would look like because it seems like Alonzo is defensive of, of Verstappen a lot of times. And so yeah, would that be a, they're both would that be a favorable, drivers. but would that be favorable on a, on a, a team together? I mean, I think that's where you see such good chemistry with a, of Verstappen and a Perez is because they do sort of complement one another. They're both not trying to outdo one another. Um, would you get that with Alonzo and, and Verstappen?
0: I think Alonzo definitely would respect Verstappen just because of how aggressive he is. And maybe a younger Alonzo would have like when Alonzo and Hamilton, right. were at McLaren together. It yeah. was, I mean, they were Lewis Hamilton at that point was much less conservative as a driver. It was a little bit of a hothead and Alonzo and him like kind of went at it. Um, But and so maybe a younger Alonzo and Verstappen would have been a bad cocktail. But I think an older Alonzo, I I think they could have they could have had a good relationship. But
1: yeah, Alonzo seems much more happy to just like be in the show. You know, he's just sort of reveling the moment, getting to go out there every weekend. He's got just a much better like patience to him about him, which which seems nice. He seems to enjoy like the driver he's working with. He seems to have positive things about like everyone else on the grid every weekend um, so yeah, he's just got like a good energy about him. So
0: I think of all the guys on the grid who are unlikely to podium at some point this year, I probably want him to podium the most or to win a race, right? Like, I mean, we can talk about emola coming up, but like, if we have a screwy race weekend with four or five DNFs, like he's the kind of guy that could easily slide through and win a race. You just never know. So
1: yeah, especially if he's, he actually hooks together that qualifying lap where he's starting I know top five or six. Yeah. He'll, he, he could definitely end up there. So,
0: all right. Uh, so that was pretty thorough on Alpine. So McLaren, uh, as as you know, I pronounced them dead uh, about three weeks ago. And so I think what everybody wants to know is has you know has a hand burst through the dirt, right? Is there a ray of sunshine? Is there any on the life corpse. on is, the
1: corpse that is McLaren? Is
0: there any life in this team as a result of what is undeniably a more positive result? Fifth and sixth teammates finished very close to each other good qualifying performance no mechanical issues no crashes yeah what are your thoughts
1: well you were the one that was very you know very high on yourself with your out of the blue prediction of mclaren falling down the order and and seemed to be vindicated the first couple of weekends but how are you feeling now you feel like you have to backpedal a little bit or are, now, you, are you still feeling good about your prediction
0: i all you gotta do is listen to andrea seidel and linda norris at the at the end of the race, and basically, it's like two people saying, "Yeah, this was great, but like, don't get used to it, boys." Like, they changed nothing about the car in advance this weekend. They showed up at Albert Park. It was a track with very few high speed turns and very few hard braking zones, which has been their absolute disaster things as a you know for their car. And I, I think that it just it was a perfect situational fit. They had no accidents, and you know, I think I, I think it was a flash in the pan. I, I think at emola they're going to go right back down to out of the points
1: wow well i have a little bit of a different view obviously i still think mclaren will ultimately end up higher in the field it is interesting you do see a lot more of that like team specific or track i'm sorry track specific dynamic right a lot of like the ferrari team struggling a little bit more on this whereas it seemed like you know williams uh mclaren a little bit of a step forward so could very well reverse but it just seems like at least McLaren has a a quality, well-prepared team and they run a good program every weekend. And that seemed to show up this weekend of like maximizing all of their sessions. Whereas Ha, sure. Maybe the track didn't suit them as well, but it just didn't seem like at all throughout the weekend, they had really the right run plan. And so I think that's like one of those subtle things that McLaren is just probably a bit of like a higher quality operation. And I think that, pans out in certain weekends like this one. So, I'd expect it to continue through. I think they'll probably have a better development program as well. Uh, so I'm seeing it as sign of sign of things to come.
0: I uh I heard rumors uh that the Hendrick's Motorsports truck had pulled up outside the track and was ready to sign Ricardo to his American Motorsports contract for next year. And then when he rolled in in sixth at his home Grand Prix, you know, they had to gas it up and head home. But uh Man, this is just for me, this is just delayed inevitable. I will, I will throw Ricardo some props because, you know, I'm a very patriotic person. I'm very proud of the fact that I'm from the United States. And so I can appreciate and celebrate when somebody goes to their home Grand Prix and does really well. I think that's got to be really special, like having all your fans. So like good for you, man. Like I'm I'll give you that, but I give the team absolutely nothing. I think they've got a long way to go with this car. And there are not many tracks like Albert Park. On the calendar that are gonna give them exactly what they got this week. So,
1: man, uh, that's really big of you, Graham. I know it takes a lot for you to swallow your pride on the on the Ricardo note, but you know, just just keep waiting. He's he's coming around a lot faster than I think I would have expected this year with a new car. Still seems to not quite have the pace as as Lando, but I mean, the fact that he's not multiple spots down the grid is a good sign for him and so much hate on him last year, despite finishing eighth in a fourth place car. So I'm not sure what else we expect from, from Mr. Ricardo. So a lot of um, unjust hate. And I think you're just part of the, uh, you're the Indicar sponsorship trying to get him over. So I'm not going to stand for it. You're not having him. (laughs) You and your Southern friends can step back.
0: (laughs) Man, Ricardo would sell so many boxes of cereal in the United States. It wouldn't (laughs) even be funny. Like, yeah. People love, people love Australians. Um, <laughs> he could lean into that cheesy accent on daytime television and probably make way more money than he makes. Yeah, could
1: see it, sell damn near anything here. <laughs> yeah,
0: guaranteed. Um, all right, let's move on to Red Bull. Uh, so We've put
1: it off long enough.
0: Let's, yeah. I'll, let's get to I, it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really try not to be a homer on this one, <laughs> but it's going to be really hard. Um, look, at the end of the day, they... I feel like
1: you're making like an admission right now. Like this is an intervention.
0: (laughs) So look, at the end of the day, they have a much faster car than Mercedes, but are 10 points behind them in the constructors rebel power trains. Although it's still a Honda engine to be fair, not off to a great start, more issues for max. All that being said though, like they were still, I mean, if signs hadn't had the unfortunate weekend, he had, Leclerc was where he was. Safety cars are the only thing that kept that race even close to within a pit window. Ferrari put some distance between them, for sure. Um, so I think net, net, net more negative than positive for Red Bull this weekend. Obviously happy for Perez, but yeah, what were your thoughts?
1: I mean, yeah, ultimately very negative in terms of the the overall finish. It puts them in a really difficult position for the rest of the season. Uh, the the points that they're behind in, in the drivers' championship is it's gonna be pretty hard to to mount that comeback. Uh obviously a long season, really? but you think so I mean, it's it does it's not ideal, right? I mean, you look at last season and it was a handful of DNFs that take Max out of a position from being, you know, a completely uncontested championship leader to having to battle in the last race of the season. And so yeah. And those those DNFs came throughout you know, a healthier part of the season to have two in the first three races. Yeah. puts you on the back foot. It means, um, it means Ferrari doesn't have to turn up an engine as much. It doesn't have to jeopardize engines to take engine penalties. They could be more planful about their upgrades. So, I mean, it's all just compounds. So yeah, they can't That's be, a good f- point. Max can't be feeling very good right now in his, in his terms to, uh, for the championship, um, especially with signs being like a week a week pairing to Leclerc right now and not showing any signs of being able to take any, uh, qualifying or any race positions from him. So yeah, pretty, pretty tough for them. So, and it seems again, like it's something different each time and, and sort of very central engine related, which is not what you want to see, but, and they also just seem to be not as well connected even when, they're they're dialed in for qualifying pace. Like Max is still struggling on on softer compounds. Doesn't seem like he is adjusting as well to the driving style. I think his aggression has historically been very good on very high grip, high deg tires, where you can sort of just throw the car around um, and find like a more extreme limit. Whereas it seems like Perez is really enjoying getting to drive these cars that are a little bit more confined to a really smooth sort of uh really smooth line and so he's getting the most out of it um as well so yeah good to see Perez performing well but they're they're in a tough a tough spot if you want to take on uh fight Ferrari at the end so
0: I I think we're a long way from it being settled is my first observation because I think certainly Certainly. look Charles has come out with a level of consistency early in the year but I mean, look, man, if it rains in Imola, he could put it at the end of the wall and turn one and then Max come through for the win. And this is an entirely different ballgame. So I I just think we got way too much racing ahead of us. Um, But even
1: so, I mean, I would agree with you. But but again, the 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 psychology gets to change so much now for Leclerc, because yeah, on that rain race, on that rain qualifying or in that race position where I'm going to battle you into that turn. Now he's able to sit back and say, fine, take the two, three, five points off of me. but. Now he doesn't have to fight so rigorously, and I think just that mental change is is huge. But yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, and for Leclerc who really hasn't messed up a ton throughout a season in terms of DNFS. Now, if he gets to shave off a little bit of pace and you know mitigate that risk, he's looking like he's in a good spot. And really, the only thing would be engine issues, but they haven't seemed to show any of that. So, yeah, Ferrari definitely in a well,
0: yeah. Unless the unless their engine is found to be illegal, like the one in 2019. Oh, boy. I'm Start, not going to
1: get <laughs> Starting early. Okay. I don't want to <laughs> go down to that
0: conspiracy theory. I mean, I will when we get to Ferrari. Yeah, yeah, but, of um, course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> last thing on Red Bull, Does did, what are the odds of a driver rivalry emerging between Perez and Max? Obviously, Perez is in front in the driver's championship right now, simply because of the DNFs hasn't had Max on pure pace every race, other than Jeddah, arguably. But what are your thoughts on the potential of an actual rivalry emerging there and what the externalities of that could be?
1: I mean, in terms of raw performance, it seems like more and more it could be, right? Perez is sort of closing the gap and and I would love it if it was, but I just think Perez, I think the situation is so clear at Red Bull that it's almost like a fool's game for Perez to push it into like a direct competition, right? Max is locked in for the long term. Perez is still the guy that sort of stumbled into that job. And so I would say even for this year, like he's happy to have a drive. And if he is pushing it right behind the uh, Verstappen every race, that's doing exactly what he needs to do to secure, you know, another year or two at that point. And so I think he's looking at the the stability and so i just don't think you'll see it for for that reason however i was a little perturbed at the start of this race with max pushing perez like so wide so clearly max isn't afraid to uh, i think max just didn't have a teammate next to him on the grid for so long he's completely forgot about the fact that he can be a little bit more you know strategic with how the teammates move down but yeah he just completely he was totally locking in that second place disregard for perez
0: of everybody in the top four, Perez got off the line better than anyone. Absolutely, yeah. And started making it up the outside of the track and was even making ground on Leclerc. But you're right. I mean, once he got squeezed, because that made him give up the position to Hamilton, and then, you know, it took him, what, two, three laps to get back around Hamilton. And by the time he did, Max had already put a six-second gap on him. So I would have liked to see that race play out with Perez having started through the first turn on Max's rear tires and then seeing what could have happened.
1: Yeah, Max could have been much more helpful to Perez and the team overall. He should have hugged the inside a little bit more. Him and Perez could have made their way around better. And yeah, they they sort of killed any interesting strategy plays they could have done on Leclerc almost straight out of the gate by by having Perez get swee- squeezed back behind Hamilton.
0: All right, let's uh let's move on to Mercedes. Look, man, I um these guys are just a little bit unkillable. I think that the Death Star just is kind of looming in the background. They have got what is for them a pretty horrible car. And yet, both guys are keeping it on track. They've been performing relatively well, other than Lewis's kind of just outlier and Jetta, where they just got the setup wrong. And they're second in the constructors, and they have probably more upgrades in flight coming into that car than any team out there with some of the smartest minds in F1 behind it. Um, I think it's hard not to be bullish on the team overall. I think the whole Russell Hamilton conversation is a whole different dimension. So we want to get into that, but yeah, what were your, what were your takeaways from Mercedes overall positive? I would assume.
1: Well, there was a lot of talk, uh, between seasons of Red Bull stealing away a lot of, a lot of Mercedes engineers and uh, clearly they weren't, they didn't take any of the ones focused on reliability. So, uh, (laughs) miss on, on HR's hiring department, but, um, Yeah. Mercedes is, has been impressive throughout the year in terms of their reliability, the consistency of their drivers, capitalizing on the mistakes of others, kind of the, the characteristic, um, position that they've been in, right. They've been played the long game, um, as, as construct, you know, championship winning constructors and drivers. And so, um, it's sort of, they, they have that maturity of, they've been here before, um, and now they have a, a leg up on on Red Bull that they weren't expecting to have and and shouldn't have but yeah so now it is, now it's kind of an arms race at this point and and they could very well find themselves in second place if they can make some big moves here but i mean yeah they they still look the worst with porpoising overall i mean and unlike Ferrari where they porpoise a lot but then coming into and out of turns they like settle down pretty quickly the the mercedes just look unsteady throughout the interns as well. They can't
0: maximize
1: the, the straights. And so, yeah, it just looks like an absolute pain to pain to drive. Um, yeah.
0: Dude, I, have you seen that movie Ford versus Ferrari? Yeah. That scene where Christian Bale, they put the new, that bigger Ford engine in the car and he takes it around the track and the arrow is really wacky, but it's just got a ton of power. Yeah. And he's like, he comes like, oh, she wants, she wants to go faster. Like, like, That's just the vibe I get watching this car go around the track. And I'm like, man, they are probably a couple components away from taking a big step forward. And I, so my brother is a big Mercedes Homer. Uh, he's, (laughs) I just saw him in Chicago this weekend. He's ordered like another Mercedes short sleeve button down. I think he has like four at this point point. he's never been to a race. It's like, it's absurd. (laughs) He's walking around
1: like he's on the pit crew.
0: Yeah. Look, I'm, you know, props for loyalty. I also say Mercedes has a very strong merch design. Much stronger than Red Bull's. I give credit where it's due.
1: They have to be... Now, and with the train wreck that is Ferrari's merch this year, yeah, Mercedes oh, yeah. is, like, easily looks good top on the of car.
0: Them. Yeah, it looks good on the car, terrible on a shirt. I, yeah, I... He 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 is of the mind that Mercedes might actually be the odds-on favorite for second in the constructors at this point, and I actually think there's a really solid argument for that. Um You know, and you know, the, the Horner position is I'd rather fix a fast car and the Toto wolf one is, well, if you don't keep it on the track, it doesn't matter. Like a couple more DNFs and Christian's going to be going to be gone losing into that argument. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean his position, like, yeah, that's kind of Horner talking out his ass, right? Like, yeah, that position holds if you're talking about like making a slow car faster or whatever, but like, yeah, I, I don't know, not when you really haven't sourced the issue and you're at a 66% fail rate on Max's cars. Like, that's a serious that's a serious problem. So, yeah, like, I think, I mean, obviously performance, they're a solid third, but, I mean, all three of the lead teams still have a lot of weight in their cars. But, yeah, I mean, Mercedes, I think, are probably carrying a lot more downforce and a lot more drag because of, uh, one, sitting the the ride height higher, and then just as you can see that unsteadiness through turn. So yeah, they have a lot to unlock in that car and, and haven't, haven't, haven't had reliability issues. So, I mean, yeah, I'd be worried if I was Red Bull.
0: You don't see any sparks coming from the underside of that Mercedes.
1: No, it's not, a,
0: it, 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 it's not kissing the ground, man. No, not
1: they could go on the, uh, on the dirt bike track and probably be fine. They have enough clearance. So, you know, I, I do have to get your, your take though. So, um, look, Hamilton still out Russell got a good start off the line was ahead in the race and really only loses out to Russell in the end because of, uh, safety car dynamics, Russell getting to pit under safety car coming out ahead. Um, and then at the end of the race talking like he won the driver's championship. I mean, just a glow praising the team, all smiles riding in this high I mean, I no uh, no humility at all. What's your reaction to to Russell and sort of gloating in the sweet taste of victory?
0: Okay, let's be honest with ourselves. Does anyone on the F1 grid have humility? No,
1: <laughs> like, I think so. I think so. I, mean, I think Hamilton obviously he's consistent. I mean, he's humble. Perez is consistently humble.
0: Take the old hat. Okay, per- Perez is Sa- probably the best example. Signs
1: is consistently humble.
0: Look, I don't, have a, I don't have a problem in the world with George Russell wanting to gloat a little bit and feel good about himself after literally driving a toilet ball for three years. The guy has been probably over-talented and under-invested in terms of the quality of his car and just been waiting on a seat. He shows up at Mercedes at the perfect wrong time when they get on the wrong side of a regulation change, and all the kid wants to do is just get the chance to prove himself. He gets it in one race last year because of COVID. Gets a freaking pit stop error and then a flat tire. Like, I, it's it's a lot of misfortune. And so, I think George Russell's really fast, man. I'll tell you the race I never can get out of my head is the Spa qualifying lap last year. On intermediates where he literally was, what, like hundredths from taking pole? Like, in a Williams. And to me your performance on a wet track is one of the best barometers for just overall, like, driver quality. Because that, at the end of the day, is the ultimate test of your ability to test the limit without losing grip and putting it in the wall. Yep. Like, that is it. Yeah. And so, man, I I think he's really good. And so, shoot, if he comes out and feels like he can get the leg up on Lewis in his first year, more power to you, buddy. Like, he's been waiting for way too long.
1: So you think this is just a – you, you think this is just uh, pent-up eagerness and and he's finally getting to, to show off a little bit? So why not I mean, let, him, let him enjoy it a little bit?
0: Dude, so what if he's actually an asshole? I mean, people hated Sebastian Vettel when he was winning world championships. Yeah. Hated him. They thought he was a pompous, like, thumbed his nose at everyone, too smart for everybody, just kind of pretty boy. And now people love him. Like, he's super endeared to the sport. And I think Russell could easily, from a personality standpoint, have like a very similar trajectory. And at the end of the day, man, it doesn't really matter if you're fast. Doesn't it, nobody like it doesn't matter. And I, he's very fast. So um, I like George. Russell. I don't know. We'll see. I
1: think I got some uh, I think I got some like evil axis vibes. Him and Toto Wolf are going to be back in the paddock doing like maniacal laughs where poor Hamilton's just over there. Like, cowering. Like, I thought we were going to race his one, guys. So, yeah, he's like the last, like, sliver of decency before just, like, the evil empire takes over.
0: Dude, Hamilton's a savage, but he's also really mature. I feel like that could be a really fun battle to watch. They're Neither one of them, it's not going to be a Rosberg Hamilton situation, right? They have tons of mutual respect for one another, I think, but I think Hamilton knows George Russell's very good, and I, I he he really could have his hands full. So, do you think
1: this? How do you think this plays out on the track, though? Because right now they've they've reasonably um, been able to to avoid each other. But I mean, at the end of this race, you heard him. You could tell in the radio Hamilton wanted to take it to Russell and was absolutely um, disappointed that that he wasn't able to do what he wanted to do. So, I mean, do you think this leads into some fireworks or or do you think it stays simple throughout the season?
0: Look, if, if Mercedes gets on top of their car and starts to make a run at Ferrari and the constructors, I think it'll get real spicy. I think we're going to have some team orders drama. I think they're going to kind of go back and forth depending on the track and probably have some qualifying battles too. So yeah, I mean, 100%. Heat of competition, I think it could get pretty wild. But again, like not... To the like Rosberg Hamilton level was like these guys might fight in the in the cool down room. Yeah, which by the way, can we bring back the cool down room? Agree. One
1: here, here, yeah.
0: That was a great, great concept, and I, I a lot of people came to the sport and never even knew the cool down room, but it was basically like like a green room that every driver was forced into that had cameras like right after the race.
1: It was like 30 <laughs> seconds of this, like the greatest level of awkwardness between people who <laughs> were just fighting each other and then expecting them to just like interact with one another yeah. casually.
0: Now, what do we get? We just watch them step on a scale.
1: <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Put on their watches. Um, <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I, I think it, it was very subtle to appreciate the, the nuance there in the in the cool down room, but but yeah, I, I think we're missing out without that. Well, look, I think I think it all comes down to as we talk about Ferrari now how far ahead Leclerc pulls, right? Because if the yeah the drivers champ championship feels a bit out of reach, then I think if you're Mercedes, you have to be playing the team game at that to say going for second or even first in constructors if if signs continues to struggle. So. That might put a damper on it. Versus, if they can somehow rein in Leclerc a little bit, if if Perez or Verstappen can take a little bit out of Leclerc and bring it into like a three-team race, um, that's the best. I think that's the best outcome for the whole season. So I'm
0: not. I'm not ready to crown Ferrari in any way, shape, or form. You're not going to crown him? I'm going to get my tinfoil hat. I'm going. I'm going to put it on. You think there's
1: there's it's nefarious. Hour. You think there's nefarious activity afoot, huh?
0: I don't need every aspect of my theory to be true for it to be a conspiracy. I just need to be right in parts. And lest we not forget, three years ago in 2019, Ferrari came out at the, I think it was the summer break. They came out basically with more straight line speed than anyone thought was like possible. Yeah. And they basically, I think what happened, they did a deal with the FIA under the table that prevented them from actually getting publicly like accused of actually cheating. But they did something to their... Uh, engine fuel regulator that basically allowed them to pump more fuel into the engine than was legal and gave a bunch of straight line speed. And it wasn't like explicitly illegal, but it wasn't legal. And so that was the whole thing that kind of led into the like, the the b- kind of back back channel change to their engine that all the customer teams got hurt by and then the Ferrari power unit sucked for two years, basically. That was 2019. And I'm not saying I know that they're cheating today. I'm just saying... That, that type of stuff happens all the time, and you cannot take car performance for granted. There are going to be massive week to week, month to month swings just from development alone, and you know people are digging for violations of the rules. And Ferrari's got a target on their back now. Two weeks ago, they weren't as out in front as they are today. Now they are the new Death Star. They got a target on their back, and you have two very savvy team principals chomping at their heels behind them. Mercedes and Red Bull are not going go to go away quietly. In any way, shape, or form. So, I'm not crowning them.
1: Well, so so you went a hundred a hundred miles an hour straight into the conspiracy theories. Maybe <laughs> we should let the people know how Ferrari did over the weekend. <laughs> you're you're eager I, to get there.
0: I don't have anything to say about Leclerc. Signs was the more kind of notable one. And-
1: I mean, yeah. Ultimately, dominant weekend, start to finish for for Leclerc. I already mentioned, he had the the sort of the grand slam. Most importantly, driver of the day, and. Um, ultimate disaster for signs. Um, FP one, both drivers looked a little bit sketchy, uh, hanging out in the gravel a little bit. So taking some early risks, uh, Leclerc looked clean onto pole, whereas signs, unfortunately just had horrible luck with, um, the entire process. I mean, held up by stroll one time, um, trying to get through a lap, um, So yeah, I mean, he just got put in P9 at the start and then losing positions early, something on the grid of round, you know, he had an issue even coming out for the formation lap. They put a new steering wheel on his car and seemingly the clutch engage point wasn't the same. So he got no start off the line, lost some positions and classic, like out of frustration, trying to overdrive the car and, and make up for it, ended up in the gravel on, on lap one. So his day was done very early. So, very disappointing.
0: I'm not too sympathetic to science, to be honest with you. Like, I get that all the qualifying stuff was bad luck, and it kind of compounded. But at the end of the day, man, if they put you on a tire strategy, which you know is going to disadvantage you in terms of grip in the first two, three laps, because he was on the hards, they want him to go long. Like, you got to know what's coming, right? You're going to be battling cars that you would normally battle in the first few laps and, like, dial it back and control, control it. And you're right. He completely overdrove it. And, like, sure, qualifying was unlucky, but the race, that was on him and if he wants to have any prayer of holding on to Leclerc based on where he's at now like he's got to figure that sh- that that type of stuff out like quickly cause... so do you think
1: you think he's there already like is he uh, a strong strongly relegated number 2 driver at this point or or can he can he pull it back
0: strongly relegated is a pretty stark way of saying it um no i wouldn't say so uh but you know I think he could be there in the next two or three races if he if he can't prove that at least in qualifying he's got the same pace for sure. Uh, we could have a bit of a Botas persona develop pretty quickly. So,
1: I mean, yeah, I would say it's as early as if he is not putting in some performance, whether in qualifying or the race that beats Leclerc in the next race or two. It, I, I don't know how you don't start to bias Leclerc and and favor him in almost any strategic position, right? Or a situation. So uh, yeah, I would agree. Yeah. I think signs is, is short on time here. So we'll um, we'll see how that goes, but yeah, I mean, to your point, the race is definitely on him. Um, whatever happened at the start though. And I mean, that's a question for the team and then, yeah, I mean, I think it just goes to the, the whole interesting dynamic that comes with this year's qualifying with those new tires. I gotta be the, the, uh, the Baron of burnouts again here with the, with the rubber. So, um,
0: yeah, so self-assigned nicknames are really cool. Man. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, 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 You Should keep I'm, doing that. I'm hoping that one's going to catch on. Yeah, uh. it's not. <laughs> it's not. So, um, but yeah, I mean, getting to see drivers out there put down multiple laps, he's just got to do one sooner. So, yeah.
0: All right. Uh, well, we made it through the grid. Let's do quick uh, recaps, personal podiums, quick explanation why, and then your DNF of the week. Go, go for your podium first.
1: Yeah, um uh, despite your despite your negativity, my personal podium, I had McLaren up there first and foremost. Great weekend, good form, hope it continues. Uh, time will tell, but good good showing for for both uh Norris and, and Ricardo back in Australia. And then beyond that, Albon with the one point for the Williams, and then again, I gotta give another nod to to Joe again for doing what he doing what he needs to do to keep a drive. Always interesting to see first year drivers and how they approach the process. Last year was a bit of a train wreck with a handful of them on the grid. Um but but Joe I think looking better than any of those drivers did last year. So props to him. How about you?
0: Uh you know, for, I I'm actually going to throw some respect to Lewis Hamilton, maybe a little bit unexpected here for one and I just I I, I don't want us to get so forgetful so fast. About how bad Saudi was for him, you know, and that could have could have been much worse. Like it yeah. still could have gone the other direction this this week. So clearly they got the the setup figured out, which has a lot to do with the driver, also the engineers, obviously. But like, good for Lewis for for clawing it back and and getting back where he should be relative to where the car can get him. Uh, I'm actually going to say Ricardo for number two, which may be shocking to you, but again. A Patriot uh, loves a Patriot. And so I'm glad that he had a good day at his home Grand Prix. Uh, I don't think he's actually ever won his home Grand Prix for Red Bull. Definitely not for Renault and not for McLaren. So I would love to see that happen one day because the Australian fans really love him. Uh, But um, it's going to be tough, you know, being an IndyCar next year. Um, And then (laughs) the third. Uh, is actually a shocker also. Uh, Pepperoni Boy himself, heir to the Safina Foods empire, Nichols Latifi, has made my personal podium. And the reason is because he actually improved week to week. He still got in a crash, but this one actually wasn't actually his fault. So uh, based on his marginal improvement, I would like to put Nichols on my on my personal podium. Wow. Nice.
1: Well the Ricardo and the Latifi I can see while while Latifi is surprising to see up there. I'm not sure about the Hamilton one, man. So basically he just didn't crumple under like one race worth of pressure. And so he should he should get praised, huh? I feel like it's a pretty low bar of expectations for a, a world champion to just like, oh, you, you didn't self destruct after one bad weekend.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to find silver linings. I look, I mean at the end of the day, like that's got to be pretty mentally mentally jarring to not make it out of Q, Q1. Q So, I don't know, good on him.
1: All right, he held up. How about DNF of the week? Where do you got?
0: I, I mean, I've already made the point, but I, I said signs because I – look, you got the best car on the grid. There's no excuse. Like, know your tire strategy. Don't press with cars in the midfield that you're going to be able to just, like, whip past once the race settles in. So, uh, yeah, I think of all the people that squandered uh, the most with the most uh I think that that was signs for sure,
1: uh yeah, well, being big on the signs train early, um yeah, unfortunately, I can't I don't have anything to disagree with you on, so yeah, he's in a in a bad way, but fortunately, he's not any worse off than the whole of the Aston Martin racing organization. um I think we've covered it quite thoroughly already, but I mean just a terrible, terrible weekend from start to finish unfortunate for Seb just trying to, you know, join, you know, merge the freeway traffic at full speed here. Um, and then stroll just being a, a nightmare, unfortunately, and not even capable of looking in his rear view mirror in qualifying sessions. So, um, yeah, not a lot of, not a lot of good things to write home for them.
0: All right. So that, uh, that covers the Australian grand prix pretty thoroughly. Um, maybe before we get to Emma uh, gerald i know you're going to walk through the track the vegas race this is not new news but we've had some track simulations kind of come out the configuration of the track has been more or less finalized yeah what are your what are your thoughts on what you've seen out of uh that vegas race that's going to start in 2023
1: yeah so obviously excited by the news of of having another race in in the u.s always a good draw but Seeing the track layout and and seeing a virtual drive of it, honestly, it looks like you're just driving on the freeway, right? You have a lot of long straights. You got some points where you got to like merge onto another freeway. There's like a point where, oh shit, you missed your on-ramp. So you got to like meander back around and, and get back on the freeway going the other way. So overall, it just looks relatively uneventful and like very mechanical. Nothing sort of organic about the layout at all. So yeah, I it doesn't seem like there's going to be a lot of like great back and forth ongoing battles. It's going to be pass on the straight with your DRS and, and mostly just a cash money grab for the, for the fans and, and for the town. So,
0: yeah, I, I I agree. I also like to remind people that straight straights don't mean overtaking Hmm. necessarily. Like Monza does not have a ton of overtaking because everybody runs skinny rear wings They basically, which essentially, as a a byproduct, mitigates the value of DRS because the flap you're opening is basically non-existent. And they just run these super low downforce packages and then just get into these DRS trains where nobody can pass anybody. So yes, like a straight line makes it easier for one car to overtake the other if it's a two-car battle, but not if it's a six-car battle. And there's just not a lot of turns on the track where you can really gain a lot of time. I mean, I, I don't know about you, G, but I mean, I know you're, you're a pretty prominent go-kart driver. When I watched that onboard, I said to myself, man, there are only really three turns on this thing where you really got to think to hit the apex. Yeah. And I don't think it would be a hard track to learn, like nor one that's going to put a lot of Gs on your body. I think if you put me in an F1 car, gave me half a day with a team, I could put in like a respectable lap at that at that track. It just doesn't impress me.
1: Yeah, I think it'll be, yeah, I I think to your point, it'll be a dynamic of, you know, where do different cars stack up naturally? How much of a trade-off do you have to make, right? Because with Monza, it's so stark between being a sort of straight line course. And I think, unfortunately, Vegas might have some of those same dynamics, right? With like, what, three long straights? And I'm not sure enough. Like high speed corners to make it worthwhile having a higher downforce package. So, yeah, you could see something something pretty
0: similar. Well, also the the Vegas Strip straightaway, the track is like eight cars wide. Hmm. So, I mean, in terms of like people trying to make moves to the left or the right to get in position before that turn, like I I don't know what there's not nobody there's no there's not going to be room to squeeze anybody.
1: Yeah. It seems like the roads they took all have like medians on them and things too. So yeah, they're not going to be, they're not going to be overly wide. So yeah. But how about going to it though? I mean, do you think it'll be an interesting race to go to? Cause I mean, oh, it, can't be, sure. it can't be like closed off like other places, right?
0: Well, I get the sense that the quality of racing that makes it entertaining in person is very different than what makes a race entertaining on television. Yes. Right. Because if you're just sitting in the stands, like all you want to see is like, cars fly past and loud engine noise. Yeah. Which Vegas is perfect for that. And then in terms of the number of viewing points that will exist, where you'll actually be able to see and hear cars along the strip. I mean, there won't be another track that can compete with Vegas.
1: The problem is that the Vegas track. Yeah. You're going to have those single points of viewership. You're not going to have any of those cool, like dynamic viewing points. Maybe there is like on that one section of the track where you can kind of see multiple parts of the tracks, but I mean so much of it is long straights that yeah, you, you might get a spot, but you're just going to get blown by. Right. But yeah, I mean, it has to be pretty accessible. So that'll be cool. Yeah. It'll be probably a fun spectacle to go to kind of live. And if even if you're not paying for entry, just to to go check it out. But and it'll be probably pretty cool on on camera. Like a lot of the night races look awesome. So it'll probably be a good a good look.
0: Maybe I'll go to the maybe I'll get me a room of the Flamingo. And uh, <laughs> except this time I'll bring my own light bulbs because there weren't any last time I, I checked in there uh, and uh, get a script view and, and just watch from the room.
1: Well, the Flamingo is not what it once was, I guess, huh?
0: No, no. Uh, All right, let's move on. Final topic, Imola. Uh, It is a track that we are, what, now third consecutive year. Uh, It was an old tradition in Formula One, went away for a while. Now it's back. Gerald, will you give us a download uh, on all things Imola before we head into the race next weekend?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're not familiar with Imola, there's... Definitely some good videos that can talk you through more of the details. Steeped in history, um, in terms of just the structure of the track, it sort of ebb and flowed over time from being, you know, full of long, crazy high-speed straights to getting like four or five or six chicanes entered over time. And then now with the advancement in cars, they sort of unraveled some of those chicanes now to, to add back in some, some speed. So the tracks evolved in an interesting way, really cool, dynamic, uh, mix of straights and corners. And then in terms of history, you know, fame, plenty of famous races steeped in tragedy as well. Sort of the black weekend taking place there. Um, but then the last couple seasons I thought have been really, really
0: interesting. Wait, 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 what's the black weekend?
1: So that's the weekend that, um, like Senna and two other drivers passed away.
0: Oh, I forgot he died at Imola.
1: Yeah. So, and that oh. was like all happened in, in one weekend. So, um, yeah, big, big question marks historically on like safety and, and how that tracks evolved over time. And then, you know, even, even in the last two years in, in its emergence, um, you've seen a number of crashes. I know Graham here with the the data on all the tracks now, and you've been eagerly showing how Imola has a, I guess a low number of organic, um, overtakes, but seemingly the last two years have been pretty interesting races on watching a lot of cars ending up, not necessarily in a wall because there's a lot of runoff, but ending up off the track in the gravel, in the grass. Um, and so particularly a track there, you could have some, some rain. So might be a weekend for your boy Russell to, to pull out a podium with a, with a stellar qualifying performance. So we'll see what we get to during the race. But, um, I I enjoy this track. A lot of talk this last couple of weeks now around, you know, new tracks are coming on. What does that mean for old tracks? Which one should stay? And I personally enjoy this one and, and think it should be a staple on the calendar as a, as a historic track. But what are your thoughts on, on Imola?
0: Might have some rain. Have you seen the forecast for this week? I
1: haven't. Is it quite probable?
0: Uh, quite probable on Thursday. Quite probable on Friday. Quite probable on Saturday, and very probable on Sunday. Awesome. Like at as in could be like a spa weekend. Yeah, from last year.
1: Well, let's hope it's not that extreme. But um, somewhere short of that, we were in good shape. Now the problem with this though is with the with this being the first uh, sprint format race weekend of the year I as well um with rain throughout all of that it's gonna probably oh. just be an absolute nightmare start to finish
0: this could be tough I, I completely forgot about the sprint race um yeah this could be total carnage i mean la- so last year was a rain race um i don't know if it was it actually carnage was- yeah i don't know if it was actually raining at the start of the race but the track was wet so most people started on enters
1: exactly yep started wet yep dried out throughout which I think always gives kind of the coolest dynamic in terms yeah. of pit timing and when are people ready and who makes the risky call. So would love for that to happen, but it sounds like it might be a little bit more of a little bit more of a downpour.
0: Well, I, yeah. And look, man, I mean, even when it's not the year before that in 2019, there were five DNFs for 2020. There were five DNFs because there's no, like it is one of those tracks where if you run over the curb, you're on grass or gravel like everywhere. Yep. And there's no saving it. Uh, so yeah, it could be an expensive weekend for uh, for a lot of teams. I would imagine Latifi probably doesn't even make it to the start line on Sunday, and then you know, like going down to turn one, things could get pretty dicey. So, well, hopefully unfortunately, Botas doesn't do a doesn't doesn't send it from the middle row <laughs> and take like half the field with him. I don't well,
1: know. unfortunately for Latifi, or or maybe this is a good sign. Last year went out on lap one, uh, but largely due to contact with Mazepin. So at least he's got that, uh, at least he's got that hurdle cleared for, for this year, but yeah, I love a good rain race. You know me. So I, I hope that's what we get and, and I will be here for it, but yeah, it's look, I'm not a big fan of the, the sprint race and it's going to make things even harder with having one practice in the rain to, to get your car set up. But honestly, I think it might not be a bad thing if it rains the whole weekend, because then your setup doesn't matter probably quite as much. Uh, but the, the teams will be in a really rough way if the, the start of the weekend is terrible and then Sunday turns out to be a, a nice day It could be a bit of a headache for the for the teams.
0: I didn't connect these dots until actually just now but um, some of the teams have actually pulled back on their development expectations coming yeah. into the weekend and maybe it's because they're looking at the forecast That could be and they know it's like why would I why would I put? a brand spanking new, if I'm Ferrari front wink on the front wing on this thing, if their chances, I'm going to put it into the wall and break the thing in half are now super high. Like I, so you may see them bring the exact same car, do the best setup they can, and then just kind of hunker down and hope for, hope for a clean race. Cause it could be. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you heard of that anyway with the, the sprint race format, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that accelerates at all for, for certain teams, especially if you don't even going to, if you're not going to get the benefit out of the parts that you would have put on the car given the rain, like it just, it doesn't make sense. So yeah, you'll probably see more teams pull back from that if that if that turns out to be true. But in terms of like, what's your take on who does this suit? Wh- what does this mean for, uh, rain aside, given what we've seen from the top few teams thus far, who who's sort of, who does this track favor?
0: I've, the best I know is that it behaves, it should behave a little bit like Bahrain and that you kind of have an equal proportion of low speed and high speed turns. Yep. Um but it's a real driver's track, man. It's like a it, it's very technical. There's a lot of different braking points, hard braking zones, light braking zones, stuff where you're just going to do engine braking and just kind of downshift and kind of lift and coast. Um and so it's a real driver's track and there's you're not you're you're very much punished for getting it wrong. So um it I think it would be kind of cool to see I, it doesn't look like it's going to be dry for qualifying, but see a true dry heads up qualifying. Cause it's really going to be a test of a great driver. Like maybe it's a weekend you see Alonzo really like, wouldn't it be you know, cool to see Alonzo put it on second row um, at a track like this, just cause he's been there so many times. But uh, I, I think, you know, barring the weather uh, probably a very close battle between Red Bull and Ferrari again. Um, I think McLaren probably back out of the points and, Mercedes probably somewhere in the middle is, is the best I could predict.
1: Yep. And I'd expect probably Alpine and, and maybe Haas to, to kind of return to, to form a little bit more. Yeah, I think you're right. The balance seems to be there throughout the track. It is interesting in the last couple of years where you'll see drivers lose it in ways that you wouldn't really expect. So to your point and being that driver's track, I mean, it can all go by the wayside with, with one turn. Um, and so it'll be especially interesting with these new cars where you've seen instances of the cars stepping out pretty easily. So, um, yeah, should be a, should be a good, a good race this weekend.
0: All right, G, well, we've covered a lot of ground, buddy. Um, sorry for coming in a week late. We had a lot going on last weekend, but we will be back in the queue, uh, following MLO this weekend. Enjoy the race, everybody. See ya.